We're going to read this together and then we're going to pray. This is Acts 2. Um, we're just preaching from the last verse, verse this morning, verse 47, but we're going to read from verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for the, the church, uh, the people of God. That's been your plan right from the beginning, was to have a people that you called your own, that you could pour out your blessing on, that you could use powerfully to take your message to this whole earth, to be a blessing to the, the cities that you put us in and the communities that you put us in to make your name famous, to take your glory around the world. You've sent your people to do that. And we don't want to take the church lightly as just a frivolous thing or a nice added extra on our lives. Because the Bible says that, Jesus, you're the head of the church. We're just your body with you at the head. That somehow you've incorporated us into Christ himself and we want to be a people that worship you passionately with our whole lives. We want to be leading each other into more and more worship of you. We want to be building something in this city that honors your name, that makes you famous, that shows your love and care and compassion to this city. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us this morning to read your word and to let it penetrate right into our hearts and deep into our souls. Do us good this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. I went to a, a conference, I think I might have mentioned it before, but a conference of a couple of months ago, uh, which was about religion today, what religion looks like today, particularly in, in Amsterdam. And there was a lady there who was uh, a, a former editor of one of the national newspapers in the Netherlands called Avon Zonderop. And she's uh, just written a book about how religion, in particular Christianity, is making a comeback in cities just like ours, about how religion is kind of becoming hip, is the word, is the word she used. And she quoted from a, a guy called uh, David Brooks, who's a journalist who writes for the New York Times. He said this, 15 years ago, if you were re religious, it was like having acne, it was sort of uncool, then it went neutral, and now it's sort of a plus. It's seen of a sign of your spiritual depth, even among those who are pretty secular themselves. David Brooks, as far as I know, isn't a Christian himself. Uh, and this book that these ladies written, and what David Brooks is saying, is that you can see this phenomena taking place in cities like New York, and London, and Los Angeles, and even here in Amsterdam, where people are, are coming back to the church, like buildings like this 
are all of a sudden becoming full of people again. The original congregation here moved out in 1977, so 41 years ago, and this place was derelict for a while before they turned it into offices. And it's only in the last few years that church communities have began to gather here again. And they're saying, well, this is happening all over the place. And they're trying to figure out what is going on. And you might think, well, maybe this is kind of, maybe this is kind of the future of the church, right? That suddenly Christianity is kind of back in favor again. That it's become kind of hip again. And even, I wonder if they were thinking this in Acts chapter 2, because you get this verse just, just before where we read from verse 41, so this is after the day of Pentecost. It says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So you can imagine if that happened here, one Sunday, suddenly 3,000 people turn up and say, I want to become a Christian. Actually, that wouldn't work. I don't know where we'd put them. Even if that happened across our entire city in one day, we think, wow, Christianity's back, Right? <laughs> It's kind of cool. Everyone wants to be a Christian again. This is great. It's kind of hip. We're sort of in favor. And you wonder, maybe that's what these guys in Acts 2 were kind of thinking. Like, wow, this is, this is we're kind of in now. You know, they've been huddled away in this room after Jesus has ascended up to heaven. And they're praying, wondering what on earth is going to happen next. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them and you... Peter goes out into the crowd and preaches this message and 3,000 people are converted. And you think, wow, okay, this is going to be easy, right? But you don't have to read far in the book of Acts to find out that's not the case. In Acts chapter 4, just two chapters later, Peter and John are arrested. They're put in jail for, uh, for, for healing somebody. In Acts chapter 5, it says all the apostles, all 12 of them, were, were arrested again. You get to Acts chapter 7... And Stephen is stoned to death. In Acts chapter 8, wide-scale persecution begins. Christians all over Jerusalem, the surrounding area, are persecuted. They try and drive them out. They try and close this thing down, force them out. And that's kind of then follows the rest of the story of Acts, that persecution comes, suffering comes. Paul is put in jail. Paul is beaten. And yet... The more persecution takes place, the more the church flourishes and grows. You can't stop this thing. You can't put it in, in jail. You can't stamp it out. It just explodes all across the Mediterranean. And the story of the church has continued ever since. That wherever any government or any individual or any people group has decided that they've had enough of Christianity and they want to stamp it out, that's when it really begins to flourish and grow and come to life. But yet... If you're f facing that kind of persecution, you know, this verse that we're, we're looking at this morning where it says that, um, oh no, that's not a verse, is it? Here we go, where it says, praising God and having favor with all the people, you might not feel like there's a lot of favor when you're being persecuted, when you're being attacked. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What does it mean for the church? What does it mean for us to have favor is it something we should pursue? This lady at the start, Yvonne Zondrop, talking about churches being hip. Should, should, we, should I grow a big bushy beard? You know, get some tattoos, brew my own beer, you know, drink coffee that's strained through camel hide or something. <laughs> this, this kind of hipster pastor, is that going to be the secret? But that's, that's not going to happen, don't worry. 
I don't brew my own beer, not yet. See, the story of the church is this one of, of there are times of favor, but there's also plenty of times of suffering and persecution. Yet we could face this temptation to become maybe not necessarily a kind of hipster pastor, but we could face this temptation, and we face it all the time in our own lives, to, to seek favor. Because favor's nice, right? We all prefer favor as opposed to not having favor. We all prefer that way. We prefer to be kind of in. And in a sense, the Bible seems to say that just by being, being a Christian, just living for Jesus, that we get a kind of a sense of favor, a sort of favor in that way. It says in Romans, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. That just living Christ-like, godly lives, that people see that. And there's, there's something that happens when they see that. They, they, there's something attractive about it. There's something where we can almost gain approval for, for living like that. But what this verse seems to say is that we're not, you don't seek out the favor itself. We, we, seek, we seek God. We seek Christ. That's our goal. It's something important that we all need to hear. Something that we need to understand as a church as we go forward. If we seek favor, if that's our goal, if we want to be liked in this city, that's a dangerous goal for a church to have. It's a dangerous goal for an individual to have, to be liked. But if we're seeking Jesus, that's an important goal to have. Because ultimately, favor, favor comes from God. There's a story in the, the Old Testament that we were looking at earlier this year in Exodus where, where the, the, the people of God are being oppressed and persecuted they're under the hands of an evil dictator, Pharaoh in Egypt, and they're crying out to God for, their, for help. But they've pretty much lost all hope because it's been decades of crying out to God for, for help. When will we find some favor? When will we be set free? It says in, here in verse 21 of chapter 3 of Exodus, this is God speaking to the people. He says, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. Favor comes from God. It didn't, didn't come from Pharaoh. It wasn't that Pharaoh, this king, suddenly decided, well, they're going to have favor. God engineered that. God was working behind the scenes to bring favor to this people. And their favor wasn't that Pharaoh suddenly just liked them. Their favor was that God set them free. And if we set our hearts on this idea of somehow we can get favor, somehow people will like us, then we fail to realize that favor is God's prerogative. That's his decision. In the same way that even if persecution and suffering, if trial and difficulty comes in your life, that may well be God working behind the scenes as well. That might actually be how God's bringing favor, blessing into your life. He wants to lead you or even lead us as a people through a time of difficulty because he's strengthening us. He's doing something within us to help us to find favor in him. Now let's try and make this, this practical for you because I really want you to understand how this applies to you and to figure out kind of what I'm, what I'm talking about here. There's, um, 
a writer you've probably heard of called C.S. Lewis, who, who wrote uh, the Narnia books, which have been turned into movies and many other things. He gave a lecture in the 1940s to a group of university students. Uh, and this lecture was called The Inner Ring. And in this lecture, he said this. He said, there exist in the armies, he wasn't talking to uh, military students, but he uses an example. There exist in the army two different systems or hierarchies. The one is printed in some little red book, and anyone can easily read it up. It also remains constant. A general is always superior to a colonel, and a colonel to a captain. The other is not printed anywhere, nor is it even formally organized. Secret society with officers and rules which you would be told after you'd been admitted. You are never formally and explicitly admitted by anyone. You discover gradually in almost indefinable ways that it exists and that you are outside it, and then later perhaps that you are inside it. That doesn't make any sense. Let me just go on. He goes on to say, I believe that in everyone's lives at certain periods, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. And what he's describing is this desire within us to be in, to have favor, to, to kind of be popular, or to be, to be accepted, or to gain some sort of position or status. And that, that desire can drive churches, groups of people, to believe things that end up being quite contrary to what the Bible teaches. Because we say we want to be in, therefore we'll abandon those bits that we don't like and we'll hold on to these bits that seem acceptable so somehow people will like us. You find that temptation in your own life to gain favour, to gain approval. You can, you can become someone that actually that you're not to try and somehow get inside this inner ring, this kind of acceptable circle. Maybe it happens in your workplace or your university, in your family, even within the church, amongst your friends. Because more and more these days, the idea of kind of social capital is becoming more and more important. Because we like to think in our modern world that what's most important is what I like, what I feel. My sense of individualism, that's the most important thing. If I feel something's right, then it's right. And we say that, but we don't actually believe it because most of us really, we're driven by what everybody else likes. We think everybody thinks that's acceptable, so I'll think that's acceptable. Everybody thinks that is the way the world should work, so I'll follow that way instead. We're driven by what other people think. We're driven because we don't, want to, we don't want to miss out. We don't want to hold an opinion that's different from what people say because we don't want to be outside of that ring. We, we want favor. We want to be liked. We want people to like us. And though, you know, we might, we might sometimes think that that's not true, that, you know, we're individuals and we, we hold on to our values, our internal dreams and desires, really we're just driven by what people on social media or on the news or our friends tell us to do. 
on, the, on Netflix, there's a TV series called Black Mirror. don't know if you've seen it. There's an episode called Nosedive, which is a really profound episode. And in this episode, everybody is, every person is rated one to five for every interaction they have. So if they go to a shop and they order something, if the shopkeeper likes them, they'll give them a rating, you know, five or four if they like them, one or two if they don't. And every interaction they have with anybody, they receive a rating, you know, a like, like you would on Facebook or wherever. And everything they do, they're being liked. And all the time, it's, it increases or decreases their, literally their social capital, <laughs> how, how, what their rating is. And their rating is really important. If you have a high rating, you can get in certain places. You can do certain things. And if you have a low rating, you're kind of discarded. You're abandoned. Society kind of rejects you. And the, the main character, a lady called Lacey, she's got her heart set on this house that she wants to buy in a certain neighborhood where the really cool people live. But to get in that neighborhood, you have to have a certain rating of like 4.2 or something. And hers is like 3.7 or something like this. So the whole episode is around her trying to up her rating so she can move into this particular neighborhood. It's not a matter of if she has enough money, but she has to have this rating to be accepted into this community. And obviously this, is, this, is a, this isn't true, <laughs> but it is true in that all of us live like that all the time, trying to up our rating, up our sense of status because we want we want to belong right we want to have favor we, we want to be accepted into whatever club it is that you want to get accepted into whether it's in your workplace even here amongst this community you know all the time we're, we're, we're putting on this persona of ourselves and people talk about Social media being where people manipulate their personality, that we have Instagram feeds where we present our life in this beautiful way, but it's really just an extension of how we act all the time. All the time we're presenting. We're our own PR agents manipulating how we present ourselves to somehow win favor, to be accepted, to, to be in, to be in the club, in the gang, whatever it is that we want to be in. And this episode, Nosedive, it's, it, it, it kind of ends in catastrophe. That she goes to this wedding where everybody at the wedding has a really high rating. So she thinks if she gets liked by them, it will boost her rating. But she makes a total catastrophe, a mess of it. She kind of gets downgraded and downgraded and downgraded. And eventually she, she, she finds that her own kind of personal liberation from it when she realizes what a sham it is and what a hoax it is. See, and, and C.S. Lewis kind of says the same thing to us, even though it was 60 years ago, 70 years ago. He says, to a young person just entering on adult life, the world seems full of insides, full of delightful intimacies and confidentialities, and he desires to enter them. But if he follows that desire, he will reach no inside that is worth reaching. The true road lies in quite another direction. He says the same thing as this lady discovers in this episode. If you spend your life trying to get in those certain things, 
trying to get favor in certain areas, trying to receive acceptance. You'll get somewhere, but it won't be anywhere worth going. Not really. (laughs) Not ultimately. It won't do you any good. And all of us, we have to fight that temptation to, to gain favor, to win approval, to somehow be in. That's a temptation all of us face. See, what, what, alters, what ultimately matters, what really matters, is you know, God may bring you or us as a church favor, as he did in Acts chapter 2, but it's because God wanted to do something. He wanted to use that favor in that moment to bless his church and to do something remarkable amongst that community and to start a church that would spread all over the world. That's why they had favor in that moment, because God wanted to do something. And it might be that God doesn't give us favor because that's not how God wants to bless us. It's not what God wants to do amongst us. Even in your life, there might be moments where you suddenly find yourself with profound favor. It's because God wants to do something. You know, the reason we as a church meet here in this building is just the favor of God. I I can't explain it in any other way. It's just God decided that he wanted us to be meeting here, that he wanted to build something here in this city for his fame and for his glory. So it, it wasn't that we did anything amazing or anything profound is God decided, I'm going to put you guys in that building. It was his favor, because he wanted to do something. See, because in most cases, in your life, favor is, is, is earned, right? You earn favor. You do something right. You work hard. You say the right thing. It's, it's, essentially, it's kind of transactional. It's a transactional favor. It's discerned, it's earned, it's a merit that we receive for something that we've done that boosts our rating or whatever. Favor is something you earn. But yet, that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. See, for us, it's very different with Jesus. God's favor is, it's undeserved. It's unmerited. It's really, really what it's about. God's favor, his grace, none of us deserve. None of us have done anything to merit that. We've all gone to the wedding and made a complete fool of ourselves. And yet God's decided to bless us anyway and pour out his favor on us anyway. See, because you might think here if you're, if you're not a Christian, and you've just walked in here today, you're very welcome. But you might think that, uh, that the Bible, which we're speaking from this this morning is this holy religious book of stories of people who do holy religious things and they they earn something, they get something, because that's what religion is, right? We live a certain way and then God, God credits us for that. You do certain holy things, certain religious things, and then, and then blessing comes, favor comes. <laughs> but really, that's not what the Bible is. Is the Bible is a story of people who, who actually did the wrong things often, who made mistakes, who failed. Even some of the heroes of the Bible are people who are deeply flawed, who made tremendous errors and mistakes. But ultimately, they, they didn't get what they deserved. It's what we call mercy. 
not getting what we deserve. That's what mercy is. But what they, in the end, they, they did get what they didn't deserve. Grace. So the Bible's a story of grace. This is the story of my life. I hope it's the story of your life as well. That we, we get from God what we don't deserve. And what we do deserve, we don't get because of his mercy. His grace poured out for us. That, that's what favor is. That's the favor that I want. That's a favor that I want to seek after. Not some rating, not some performance, not acceptance in some club. I want favor with God. And the wonderful good news is, it's not about anything that I've done. <laughs> it's about everything that Jesus has done for us, for, for you. That's the good news of the gospel. To help us understand this, let's finish with a passage from Romans. Let me read this to you. This is from Romans 5. It says, The free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That might, those verses might set your heart singing. Maybe it sounds just like kind of religious gobbledygook. But what Paul is saying to us in Romans is that, first of all, he says at the start that the free gift is not like the trespass which sounds like a classic kind of positive v. negative, right? We, we get good from God, not bad from God. Like we win one nil. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. It's like rather than us losing one nil, we win a hundred nil, <laughs> to use a football analogy. The blessing is abundant. His grace, his favor, you can't measure. You can't measure. It's just this abundant provision of his love. He says this free gift is not the result of that one man's sin. He goes on to say, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, ma one man, much, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's not that we've just been transferred from one evil ruler like the Israelites under the Pharaoh, this evil Egyptian ruler. It wasn't that they were just transferred from oppression and persecution and judgment under him to suddenly somewhere else, to being then persecuted subjects of God. They're transferred from this evil oppression, from this horrible ruler. We're transferred to this kingdom where we reign in life. We're called into this relationship where it says elsewhere that we're co-heirs with Christ. If you're an heir, you receive an inheritance, right? You receive the family fortunes, the family wealth. 
That's what it is to be a believer in Jesus. We receive this inheritance. Righteousness. It says elsewhere that it's, it's the imputed righteousness, which means the same righteousness that Jesus has before the Father, we get to have. Not because of anything that you've done, but a free gift of grace. What I'm saying is this favor is the greatest favor that anybody could receive in all of human history has been poured out on you. Unmerited, undeserved grace, the favor of God, that God in heaven loves you dearly. That's so much better than any other favor that we could somehow win and earn. Because you, you all know that sense. You know, when, when you've done something and you feel that you deserve a reward for that thing, maybe in your workplace you've, you've achieved something and you think, well, I should get favor now because I've done this. And when you don't get it, you know that burning sense of injustice within you a sense of disappointment and frustration that you've been overlooked, that you've been forgotten, that you didn't get it what you deserved. But yet, the thing is, just flip that around the other way, that where we should have received justice for our sin and mistakes, our failings, we've received this tremendous blessing and favor of God. That kind of sense of burning injustice is flipped around to this sense of burning wonderful joy and praise and delight because you're loved, not because of anything you've done. Because we don't hit the mark at all, but we're saved by this wonderful grace. And you might have come in here this morning with that sense of, oh goodness, I've had such a horrible week. Oh, I've made so many mistakes. You know, I, don't, I don't deserve to be able to come and sing or pray Maybe even coming in here this morning was, you felt like, am I, have I done enough? Am I holy enough? Have, have I hit the mark? And the truth is, none of us have. We all fall short. And yet all of us are welcomed in here this morning by the grace of God, by his love for us, his care and delight in us. Let's pray, shall we? And then we're going to sing some more songs of worship and response to God together. Jesus, we thank you so much. We, we know we, we spend our, our lives often seeking to be, to be part of that inner ring, <laughs> to somehow gain that sense of favor. And as a church, that could become our goal, to be light in this city could be our goal in our workplace in our homes wherever to be like to win favor and we just want to confess that ultimately favor comes from you and if you if you give it to us wonderful and if you don't we'll praise you anyway but ultimately all of us have received the favor that really counts the grace of God for all of us here that have put our trust in Jesus that have said I'm going to follow him you've as we sung earlier, in, in that moment, suddenly we move from, from darkness to light, from death to life. And we want to be a people who, 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 who live and enjoy and spend our life following the favor of God wherever it goes, following your blessing and grace on our life.
I just want to pray for anyone here that doesn't know that wonderful grace. Maybe they're not, not a Christian, never made that decision in their hearts. I pray you'd speak to them this morning, Jesus. I pray you'd help them to ask for forgiveness, to repent is the word the Bible uses, to turn our back, to put our trust in you and to know the love of God rush into their hearts. For any of us here that feel like we're carrying a heavy load, maybe we've been seeking favor from other places and we haven't got it. Maybe it feels unjust and we're angry about it. Or maybe we think, oh, to be honest, I've not really hit the mark. I don't deserve it. I pray all of us this morning would know your abundant grace, the much more of your grace, the abundance, the overflow of your mercy and your love for us. I pray that would penetrate into our hearts, that that would change us, we pray. Amen.